When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. We're going to discuss a case of an abnormal screening mammogram in a 48-year-old female. A 48-year-old female who has no significant past medical history presents to the breast surgeon's office after being informed by a radiologist of findings of an abnormal screening mammogram. She was told that she has new areas of suspicious calcifications over a one centimeter area in the upper outer quadrant of her right breast. She does not have any breast complaints and denies breast masses, nipple discharge, and breast pain. Let's first discuss the recommendations for breast cancer screening. A screening mammogram differs from a diagnostic mammogram in that its objective is early preclinical identification of suspicious lesions in an otherwise asymptomatic patient. For low-risk women, current U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommendations are to start screening between 40 and 50 years of age and screen biennially to 74 years of age. Screening is not recommended in women of average risk younger than 40, given a low breast cancer rate and high prevalence of dense breast tissue, leading to false positives and unnecessary testing. Women with dense breast tissue are at increased risk for developing breast cancer compared with those with fatty breast tissue, yet other screening tools, such as ultrasound, have not been universally accepted. Although recommendations vary, women at increased risk such as those with strong family history or those with known genetic mutations, should initiate screening between the ages of 25 and 40 with annual mammography or MRI. It is not recommended to screen women older than 75. However, if they are in good health, women may choose to continue mammographic screening and are encouraged to discuss this with their primary care physician or breast surgeon. What are the mammographic findings that are concerning for breast cancer? The goal of screening mammography is to detect and characterize abnormalities of concern for breast cancer and inform further diagnostic studies and or breast biopsy. The American College of Radiology Breast Imaging Reporting and Data Systems, or BIRADS, is a radiographic classification system that categorizes mammographic findings and recommends next steps. BIRADS 0 indicates that more imaging is recommended. BIRADS-1 is a negative mammogram. BIRADS-2 is a benign mammogram. Generally, BIRADS Category 3 is an indication for short-term follow-up, and BIRADS Categories 4 and 5 are indications for tissue biopsy due to a greater than 2% and up to 95% risk of malignancy. So what is the necessary clinical evaluation for a newly diagnosed breast mass or 
mammographic abnormality. Generally, a patient presenting with concerning findings on screening mammogram will be asymptomatic, yet the evaluation still necessitates a focused history and physical examination. Relevant history should include personal history of palpable breast masses, nipple discharge, prior cancers and respective treatments, breast biopsies and pathologies, upper body radiation exposure, age at menarche, gravidity, parity, menopausal status, and the use of hormone replacement therapy. Family history of breast cancer, age of diagnosis, and whether it was unilateral or bilateral are also important. Breast examination findings concerning for malignancy include asymmetry, skin or nipple retraction, edema of the skin, architectural distortion, and any palpable mass. The axilla should also be evaluated for palpable fixed masses. If a clinically detected mass or radiographic abnormality is identified in the breast, the next step in workup is corneal biopsy with or without image guidance. For abnormalities found on screening imaging, ultrasound is often needed for guidance for corneal biopsy. If calcifications are present on mammogram, yet no mass is identified on ultrasound, a stereotactic biopsy is necessary. Fine needle aspiration or FNA can be used for axillary lesions of concern, but should not typically be used for in-breast lesions. Core biopsy is far superior for tissue sampling of the breast in order to evaluate tissue architecture and distinguish between invasive and in situ lesions. A radiographically dense clip is usually deployed after biopsy to enable, enable accuracy of future excision. So what's the differential diagnosis for abnormalities on screening mammogram? There are a host of benign breast lesions that can cause abnormalities on screening mammogram. If the entities to be considered include lesions that are not associated with the development of breast cancer and lesions that, although not precursors of malignancy, are markers for increased risk of future malignancy. Occasionally, they must undergo excisional biopsy. Ductal carcinoma in situ is an intraductal neoplastic lesion that generally presents as an asymptomatic mammographic calcifications. DCIS is characterized by cellular proliferation and atypia confined to the ductal lobular system with propensity for progression to invasive cancer. It can be classified as low-grade or high-grade. Treatment generally involves surgical excision to negative margins, radiation therapy, and hormone therapy. Clinical predictors of recurrence or development of invasive cancer include comedo pattern or tissue necrosis, positive margins, and high nuclear grade. Invasive breast cancer involves proliferation of the terminal duct lobular unit. There are several histologic subtypes with varying prognoses and malignant characteristics the most common being ductal carcinoma, followed by lobular carcinoma. The category of ductal carcinoma includes tubular, medullary, mucinous, and papillary subtypes. Unlike ductal carcinoma, lobular carcinoma does not form calcifications typically and is more often bilateral and multicentric. Additional prognostication of breast cancer involves subdivision into grade as determined by tubule formation, mitotic figures, and nuclear pleomorphisms. Metaplastic features and signet ring cells often confer a worse prognosis. Surgical treatment, as discussed later on, generally involves mastectomy or breast-conserving surgery, plus sentinel lymph node biopsy with or without axillary dissection. 
inflammatory breast cancer is a very aggressive form of invasive breast cancer and confers a poorer prognosis. It is marked by dermal lymphatic invasion with a peau d'orange or cellulitic appearance and is generally treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy followed by mastectomy. What are the inherited and genetic risks for developing breast cancer? Mutations in BRCA1 on chromosome 17 and BRCA2 on chromosome 13 are the most discussed genetic mutations increasing the risk for patients for developing breast cancer. The estimated lifetime risk of breast cancer in female patients harboring a BRCA mutation ranges from 40 to 60%. BRCA2 mutations are also associated with a higher risk of male breast cancer. Patients with a family history of breast cancer and or a personal or family history where the diagnosis has been at a young age should be considered for genetic testing. Women of Ashkenazi Jewish descent have a higher likelihood of carrying BRCA mutations. Other genes implicated in the development of breast cancer include TP53, ATM, P10, and PALB2. Back to our patient. The patient does not have any personal or family history of breast cancer and is not of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. After focused history and physical examination and review of the patient's mammographic studies, the patient undergoes an ultrasound-guided core needle biopsy under local anesthesia in the office. The pathology returns as ductal carcinoma in situ with foci of invasive ductal carcinoma. Her cancer is estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, and HER2 positive. The patient states she had a friend with breast cancer that had spread to her lymph nodes, and she asked about surgical options for treatment. What are the surgical options for treating breast cancer? The surgical treatment of breast cancer has evolved substantially over the last several decades, from invasive and disfiguring radical mastectomy to more minimally invasive and cosmetic partial mastectomy. We'll first discuss breast-conserving therapy. Better radiographic techniques have resulted in the earlier detection of breast cancer, and as such, breast-conserving therapy has become the mainstay of treatment for small, early-stage breast cancers. Breast conservation involves lumpectomy, also termed partial mastectomy, with selective axillary nodal sampling and radiation therapy. Generally, candidates for breast conservation have tumors less than 5 centimeters. Candidates for breast conservation may also have lesions that are not palpable and have been identified only on imaging studies. If the lesion is palpable, no preoperative localization is necessary. Otherwise, mammographic or ultrasound-guided localization techniques must also be performed preoperatively in order for the surgeon to be able to locate the lesion. Patients determined to have invasive cancers will also need to undergo sentinel lymph node biopsy, which we'll discuss in a moment. The alternative to breast conservation is mastectomy. The procedure for mastectomy has significantly evolved over the past several decades, from William Halstead's radical mastectomy, which involved resection of the breast, axillary tissue, and pectoralis major muscle, to modified radical mastectomy that excluded the pectoralis major muscle, to today's simple mastectomy, with selective axillary sampling in the clinically node-negative patients. Indications for simple mastectomy, as opposed to breast conservation therapy, include multicentric disease, extensive microcalcifications, inability to obtain negative margins, the inability to receive radiation therapy, prior breast irradiation, 
However, reconservation is becoming increasingly used. Inflammatory breast cancer and potentially chest wall involvement. Alternatives to simple mastectomy include skin sparing mastectomy for immediate breast reconstruction or nipple sparing mastectomy for improved cosmesis. Assessing the axilla involves either a sentinel lymph node biopsy or an axillary lymph node dissection, or sometimes both. Sentinel lymph node biopsy has largely replaced axillary lymph node dissection for staging and clinically node negative patients. Axillary status remains the most important prognostic factor for survival in breast cancer. Studies have demonstrated that there is no survival difference between patients who have undergone axillary lymph node dissection versus sentinel node biopsy alone if the nodes were tumor-free. It has been further shown that patients with T1 or T2 tumors and up to two positive lymph nodes in sentinel node biopsy who are undergoing breast conservation have no additional survival benefit when completion axillary lymph node dissection is performed. With increased use of sentinel node biopsy, the prevalence of axillary lymph node dissection is decreasing. The current indications for axillary dissection are T4 tumors, clinically positive axillary nodes, biopsy-proven nodal metastases, more than two positive sentinel nodes in the setting of breast conservation, inflammatory breast cancer, prior inadequate axillary dissection, failed sentinel node mapping, axillary local recurrence, and any inability to perform sentinel node biopsy. Generally, axillary dissection is defined as excision of levels 1 and 2 nodes, and occasionally level 3. However, that's rare. Lymphedema is the complication of most concern after axillary dissection, and though it may occur after sentinel node biopsy, it is rare in that setting. After mastectomy, immediate or delayed reconstruction may be considered. Options include no reconstruction, prosthetic reconstruction with tissue expanders and or implants, or autologous tissue reconstruction. There are many factors that drive the decision of whether and how to reconstruct the breast. Our patient opts for breast-conserving therapy and undergoes an ultrasound-guided, wire-localized partial mastectomy with sentinel lymph node biopsy. Intraoperative frozen section of the sentinel nodes is negative for carcinoma. Final pathologic analysis demonstrates a 1.2-centimeter invasive ductal carcinoma with negative margins and negative nodes, pathologic stage T1 and 0. She returns to the office for surgical follow-up and has an appointment scheduled to meet with the radiation oncologist so that radiation treatment can begin when surgical healing is complete. So what are the current standards for adjuvant or post-surgical therapy? Radiation therapy is indicated for nearly all patients undergoing breast-conserving therapy. It involves daily treatment for approximately three to six weeks and generally targets the ipsilateral breast and potentially level 1 and level 2 lymph nodes. There are times when radiation is required even after a patient has undergone mastectomy. Post-mastectomy radiation is indicated for findings of four or more positive axillary lymph nodes, tumors greater than 5 centimeters, tumors with involvement of the skin or chest wall, positive surgical margins, or inflammatory breast cancer. Note that radiation of a breast which has been reconstructed can adversely affect form and function 
due to fibrosis and contraction of the irradiated tissue. Chemotherapy is standard for patients with triple negative breast cancer, tumor size larger than 0.5 centimeters, or pathologically involved lymph nodes. If microinvasive disease is present, where the tumor is 1 to 3 millimeters in size, the use of adjuvant chemotherapy has to be weighed against its risks. At present, most chemotherapy regimens involve a combination of cyclophosphamide and anthracycline and ataxane. Neoadjuvant or pre-surgical therapy can be used to downstage disease to allow patients with large tumors or high tumor-to-breast ratio to become candidates for breast conservation. There are also genetic profile tests that can be used to predict response to endocrine and adjuvant chemotherapy and may allow patients, even with node-positive disease, to forego adjuvant chemotherapy. Endocrine therapy is indicated for patients with hormone receptor-positive tumors, which account for approximately 75% of all invasive cancers. Many studies indicate improved overall survival with the use of endocrine therapeutic agents such as selective estrogen receptor modulators or SERMs such as tamoxifen and aromatase inhibitors such as anastrozole and letrozole. Endocrine therapy is generally used for postmenopausal women and high-risk premenopausal women. In general, for hormone receptor positive disease, postmenopausal women are treated with aromatase inhibitors and premenopausal women are treated with tamoxifen. Recent evidence has shown additional benefit from treating premenopausal women with ovarian suppression plus an aromatase inhibitor. Approximately 15% of invasive cancers are epidermal growth factor receptor 2 or HER2 positive. For patients who are HER2 positive, treatment with adjuvant trastuzumab and or pertuzumab, which are monoclonal antibodies to the HER2 receptor, have greatly improved outcomes for patients who are HER2 positive. Our patient elects to undergo radiation therapy, is treated with hormone therapy, and anti-HER2 antibody therapy. On surgical follow-up, her incisions are well healed, and she is happy with the cosmetic outcome of her partial mastectomy she returns to undergo regular annual screening mammograms. Several pearls exist for evaluating and treating patients with abnormal mammograms and those who are diagnosed with breast cancer. Screening for breast cancer in average women should begin at age 40 to 50 and continue through age 74 based on current recommendations. Concerning mammographic findings include speculations, calcifications, distortions, and asymmetries. Further, biopsy, imaging, or surgery will be based on BIRADS criteria. Regarding axillary anatomy, care is taken for preservation of the long thoracic, thoracodorsal, median and lateral pectoral bundles, and intercostobrachial nerves. Breast conservation therapy with or without sentinel node biopsy is used for most DCIS and invasive cancers less than 5 centimeters. Post-mastectomy radiation therapy is used for patients with four or more involved axillary lymph nodes, tumors greater than 5 centimeters, tumors with skin or chest wall involvement, positive margins, or inflammatory breast cancer. And finally, adjuvant chemotherapy and endocrine therapy utilized for patients depend on the specific pathologic endocrine receptors and anti-HER2 profile.
Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.